everybody, and welcome back at long last to another episode, another new episode of Walk-In's Welcome. I'm Michael Russell. I'm Gary Okazaki. Hi, Michael. Yeah, we're here. Uh, we're back. It's been a pretty long hiatus, uh, thanks to me just not having a lot of time with my family, um, my growing family, and uh, Gary's also been traveling around the world, as he always does. Um but we're here. We're here to talk about some lists, some major lists that have dropped in the past month. Uh, the world's 50 best restaurants and the first ever all California Michelin guide. And also some awards that are coming up. Tales of the Cocktail Spirited Awards are coming up at the end of the month. And also, uh, as always, we kind of like to start things off talking about Gary's most recent travels. So do you want to just give us a roundup of where you've been and, and what you've loved in terms of restaurants around the world? Well, I recently went to New York City for uh, nine nights, 10 days, and I hit up 32 restaurants. I tried to go to restaurants that I've never been before. The only ones that I hit up that I'd been to before were Per Se. And the last time I went to Per Se was a few years ago, and I only had did the dessert tasting. Anna Bowles, who's the head pastry chef there, is fantastic, one of the best pastry chefs in the country. And I also returned to Le Bernardin to eat Thomas J. Raquel's desserts, of which I had three of them. I had one savory uh, dish, uh, seafood casa, which was actually one of my favorite Le Bernardin dishes that I've had under Eric Repair. And Casa, is that like a Peruvian yeah. inspired dish? Yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, and then I had three of Thomas Raquel's desserts. And when, I had, well, when they say you walk in, you know, these places, do they have a sense of who you are or do they remember uh, you? Uh, per se, they they blew me out, uh, per se. Oh, they, really? they Googled me. They, they What happened was I, I didn't get a menu. Oh. And I, I kind of was noticing other people had menus and they talked about, other people were talking about, supp- the servers were going to other tables talking about which supplements they may want. Right. And they just never came to me. I didn't really pay it any mind. I thought, oh, maybe they forgot. I don't know. I just was kind of oblivious. But were you just going to do the dessert tasting there? No, I, I was going to do, do the full, whole thing. full okay. lunch at, per se. And they started just sending food out. <laughs> I mean, they-, they With said, all the add-ons, caviar Not and all the add-ons. And... They did like three or four add-ons. They got a couple. But one of them was a $125- Pasta dish, which was pretty fantastic. It was sweet bread, sweet bread ravioli with uh, Perigord truffles mm. that they just couldn't stop <laughs> shaving. And then I, you know, I again they were very kind. Like I didn't notice this until the very end of the meal, but they, I they were very kind that they caught me my drinks. So wow. wines and uh, glass of oh god, I, I didn't do the wine pairing. I did not do the wine pairing. So it was the couple couple glasses of champagne and that's one of the most expensive restaurants in America still, no? Yeah, and I've heard stories about other people. They'll go in and I know chefs who've gone in, and they'll say, "We'll cook for you," and they'd say, "Okay." Then they get this big bill, (laughs) and you know, I didn't. Whatever they were to do is fine. Like I didn't expect anything. Like I didn't. A lot of it surprised me. Like I, I expected to see the the. I didn't. I expected to see a bill that had my drinks on it or the supplements on it. And that would have been fine with me. I left a, a, a I believe a, a really good tip, obviously, because yeah. um, what happened. They took good care of you. Yeah. So where else did you go? It sounds like you went to more than three restaurants a day. I, I a couple of days I did three lunches and three dinners. Oh my gosh! Yeah, well, you do that. I mean, like <laughs> that's know, intense. You're, you're, you're a great eater. I mean, I know, probably better than me. I mean, six restaurants in a day is tough. But you're you're a better eater than I am. You could eat more than I can, but you're a bigger dude than I am. Oh. Um, 
So, yeah, it was it, it, you know, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, you know, at the end of the night, at 1030 at night, when you're on your sixth meal of the day, and you feel uncomfortable, you just, you know, you just eat what you can and just muscle through it, muscle through it. Did uh, your hotel have a nice gym? It, I know it. Uh, it yeah. I, well, I see at one Hilton because you can get, I get free passes to go to the Crunch Fitness, which is four blocks away. <laughs> and the Crunch Fitness gym is actually makes it worthwhile to go to that stay at the Hilton because the Hilton front desk and I do not get along. <laughs> so it's uncomfortable every time I go, but you know what? It's, it's worth, worth it. a $30 <laughs> crunch pass for me to like deal with the 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 uncomfortableness of it all um what else stood out for you in terms of meals there uh pete cho and sending park from hano uh had to do a uh, an event in new york city at the same time so they arranged it so we could be there at the same time son has a sister who lives in jersey so we were able to spend two nights together and one of the nights both the nights were fantastic the first night was at uh momofuku David Chang's Kawi, which is a Korean restaurant that just opened this year. One of the best new restaurants in America. Yoon Jo Park is the head chef. She's just fantastic. And not surprisingly, Pete Cho, I mean, it, it was under his name. They knew he was coming in, and they blew us out. I mean, there's one picture on Instagram of Pete and I sitting with our heads down because they just they absolutely crushed us. And, uh, yeah, it was it's it's Pete and Sam told me it's it's really truly harkens to Korean cuisine. It really wasn't fusiony, mm. as they told me. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was absolutely fantastic. One of the best new restaurants I've been to in America. Um, then then we also went to Blue Hill Stone Barns, and wow. once again it was under my name, but they asked for other diners, and it just so happened one of the servers had been to Hanok within the last few months. No way. Yeah, and then I was, she came up to us during the meal and said that she had to go before the entire staff at Blue Hill Stone Barns and explain to them before service began what Hanok meant to her and what dining at Hanok was like. Whoa. And so yeah, they took us into, they set up a little kitchen counter for the three of us, and then Dan Barber came by the counter and served us a couple of um, courses, one of which was a sausage that was made with both half grain, half meat. And Cho was just blown away by that that that, di- that it was simple sausage, but just the fact that it was made with half grain and tasted amazing. That's a pretty high grain level. I mean a lot of sausage is made with grain obviously, but that that's that's fifty fifty is really high. Yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, it was fun to be in the kitchen for a while. They took us out to the grounds, showed us around and the food was it, it <sighs> It's not overly complex food. Maybe making it is complex, but it's very straightforward. Hmm. Kind of, I don't know, but compared to Chez Panisse really isn't fair, but it has that simplicity. Unfair to who? Pardon? Unfair to which restaurant? Probably Blue Hill. Because <laughs> I, I love my Blue Hill experience. Truly yeah. one of the most memorable that I'll, I'll ever have. Chez Panisse, not so much. I went this year. <laughs> I've been to this cafe and to the restaurant. I went to the restaurant this year, but it's so iconic. I went, and it really was. I understood why it's as iconic as it is, but it does feel slightly dated. Whereas Blue Hill Stone Barns does not. Yeah, there's no question. Right. Um, so, tell me a little bit more about this Blue Hill experience. I understand that you know meals can sometimes sort of be catered to each diner's mood or experience. Is that still going well, on it's, there? It's hard. Or? It's hard to know. It's, it's my first time <laughs> right. there. I've been to Blue Hill in New York City, 
in Midtown, mm-hmm. and I thoroughly enjoyed that experience too. But it's on a completely another level at, at Stone Barns, and we got there kind of a few minutes late. We, we were trying to get there an hour early just to see, just to walk around the grounds more. And because of New York City traffic, they drove. It was just it, they were on the road for like three hours from Jersey to. To Blue Hill Stone Barns, I was picked up like halfway there. So at the train station? No, no, they picked up. They picked me up at my hotel. In oh wow! So it took that long, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, so does it deserve? I mean, I feel like it. Uh, uh, okay. Okay, I've, I, I've heard two things. I've never eaten there, but yeah. you know, I think on the one hand, it's a really magical experience. On the other hand, it is the destination outside New York City restaurant for basically the bulk of all food writers and food editors in America. So, yes. you know, the, the massive concentration of food writers are in New York. If they're looking for a super special high-end dining experience outside of the city, that's the place they go. And so f- I do think it sort of has like an outsized reputation, even if it deserves a lot of its accolades. When you, if you just, if you just think about the whole culinary experience, it deserves all the accolades it gets. I, 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 if, 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 I don't know why Michelin doesn't go out there. Maybe I mean, it's further away. Yeah, that's odd. It's further away. It's closer to Manhattan than the Inn at Little Washington is to downtown Washington, D.C. Which just got its third Michelin star this Correct. year. Correct. Are they, but Blue Hill Midtown has a Michelin star, deservedly so. Huh. I think Blue Hill Stone Mars deserves two Michelin stars. It's two Michelin star experience. And I've, you know what? I've come around over the last couple of months. I, you're always told by the head of Michelin, whether it's Michael Ellis, Nuray, or even the current head, whom I don't know his or her name, that it's only about the food. You could have a meal in a now house, and it could be a three Michelin star uh, experience. Right. And Supposedly. we're, we're going to talk about this later, but they said the same thing about Rustic Canyon in this Le Monde profile of a Michelin inspector where he said, I didn't really love the dining room, but the food was... Okay. Michelin star worthy. So yeah, they they do repeat that. I don't I know if it's true or not. I don't know. I don't believe it's true anymore. They can say it all they want, but I do. I do believe if it's close, and it's a great culinary experience, even service wise, it gets that upper that next level star, wherever that's you know they're one they you know they're borderline one two. What makes you think that? So, I I believe Blue Hill Stone Barns deserves that um, second Michelin star. And my other trip, right? But they're not even ranked in the guide. So what? What? Yeah. What? I don't know. I drove think, you to this change of heart that it's not actually all about the I'm food. I'm just talking to chefs. I'm ch- talking to chefs who have Michelin stars. So this is a change of heart just in the past couple of months. Couple of months. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't believe Michelin. I just I believed what Ellis and Nere were telling me, oh. telling everybody. Now I believe it really does impact their decision. Do you want to talk more about New York restaurants you no, went to, or well, should we shift kind of right leads, into the LA Michelin Guide, well, or sorry, is, California I, Michelin Guide? This actually leads into, and it, there's a there's a connection between what I'm talking about next and the California Michelin Guide, and even the world's top fifty. And I was just in Healdsburg, California, which is wine country, Sonoma County, and I went there to go to Single Thread Farms. It opened December of 2016. It got a second. It got two Michelin stars bef- within 11 months after opening. Then it got its third Michelin star less than two years after opening, which is truly, truly incredible. Was that it just doesn't happen. Elevated the same year as Bennu? No, it was a couple years after. A couple years after. Oh, a couple years after. I'm sorry, a couple yeah. years after. Okay. And well, uh, two restaurants were elevated at the same time, right? It was Bennu and Cezanne. 
And then was did single thread was it on its own or did it was it joined by someone else? Atelier Crane. Oh right. Okay. And, and there and actually Dominique and Kyle I think did a collaboration dinner uh-huh. that was already scheduled. Oh. <laughs> for because I think they kind of knew that uh. this was going to happen, so <laughs> so they they kind of had an idea that maybe they would get the third one. This is what I, I was told that there was a collaboration dinner like the week after, right? Between the two of them at Single Thread, right? I don't know if it happened. Someone else told me. Some one of those two people told me. <laughs> um, uh, so, it, you know, Single Thread. I I went to Single Thread about six. Uh, no, yeah, six months after it opened, and I just went back to, just to see. And the the food has become even better. Originally, I thought it was a solid two. Now I think it's 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 at two three. It's like in between a two and a three. But what again? It's it's a culinary experience. Of right. It all. It's just it's abs- It really is like a house. I mean, there are couches set up that are instead of tables. I mean, instead of like uh, some of the um, tables have like couches. So it's like a you know it does feel like a, a house. And just even the minutest details are thought of as single thread. Um, there's at Per Se, I also went to Per Se on my near trip. There's a, a, there's a screen in the kitchen that is notorious because it's a kitchen that shows on French Laundry's kitchen and vice versa. Huh. That the French Laundry people can see the Per Se kitchen. There's also a screen in single thread. But... It, there's no other restaurant that that screen goes to. What it does show is the entire dining room. So they can watch the progress of every single diner. So oh. to, to deal with the pacing of it all. Yeah. So my meal was really pretty quick. My meal was like two hours. Did you hours. let them know you wanted to eat pretty quickly? Uh, no. Yeah. They... But, uh, no, I didn't have to let them know. But you were a single worry. diner. Maybe they yeah, guessed. I didn't worry. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I've, I knew Kyle and Katina before they opened Single Thread. So, well, I just want to pause really quickly because I think uh, you mentioned something. You mentioned Hanok, the experience at Hanok, and the server yeah. having to relay it to Blue Hill at Stone Barns. You know, Hanok is not uh, a fine dining experience at the level of some of the places we're talking about, but they do have a really incredible way of building community there. And we actually went the whole family just last week. Okay. Um, uh, which, you know, when you have two little kids, it's, uh, it's almost like flying to New York for a restaurant, even right. though it's only 30 minutes from here, uh, walking, but, uh, <laughs> we got there and, um, you know, I, both my girls were there and, uh, the owner's boys were kind of running around Elliot and Frankie. And like five minutes after we got there, uh, there's a knock on the door to the courtyard where the restaurants, a lot of the restaurants, uh, tables are. And a woman comes in and sang the owner of Sun Park uh, singing telegram for her birthday. And like, you know, the whole dining room kind of stopped and watched it happen. I'm sure she was, you know, sad and happy and maybe a little embarrassed all at once. I don't know. But it was really kind of a magical experience. Um, You know, I don't even know if it is like a kid friendly restaurant, even though there's like slides and kids toys like left over from Elliot and Frankie running around all day in the courtyard because it's where they live. But um, there's definitely a real sense of community there. I think you can talk to anyone who works there. They'll, they'll tell you that that's the case. Well, I think it is a very much a kid-friendly restaurant. I mean, you had, one of, I think one of your best experiences, don't let me put words in your mouth, of a feast last year was an off-the-cuff ramen uh, event. Yeah, exactly. Party, Korean ramen, late night, 
it started after all the all the feast food festival at the big food festival in Portland after it was over and they were like writing the menu quote unquote I put that in quotes because they were just like slapping uh, empty ramen packages on the wall with numbers next to them and they were doing that like up until two minutes before the event was supposed to start and then all these like very well-known chefs who happened to be at feast including Nina Compton from New Orleans and uh, uh, Robbie from San Francisco and all these you know people I recognize from you know food blogs basically went in and you know got their faces melted by this super, super spicy ramen. Well, yeah, I think that's, that's what Cho does. I mean, Cho is very <laughs> much, you know, off the cuff, kind of last minute. I remember at last year, because I, le- I, I left halfway through Feast, um, he had to do a brunch only, uh, a brunch for chefs only, right? So it's a big deal. It was, it's like no one else invited but the chefs. So, so he got Mace to like, help him. Andrew Mace, who's <laughs> yeah. now the... I don't know what he is at Hot Yai 2.0, but he's like a general manager. So, but he, he's also a chef. So we all went to Fred Meyer's and at like 11 o'clock at night and, or no, whatever Fred Meyer, like an hour before Fred Meyer's closed. I can't remember the time, 10, whatever. So we, he starts shopping for things for the next morning's breakfast. And like, oh, let's, let's throw this in the cart. Let's throw that. So we go back to Hot Oak and like, you know, and Mace and like Cho are like cooking, starting to cook around midnight. Oh my god! Uh, for the next morning's brunch, and like Mace had to leave, so Pacho got another cook that we used to work for him at like to come by at two in the morning. And they went work from like two until four in the morning. Um, and, and then it, the brunch started at what nine or ten probably, or something. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how things go with Pacho. But yeah, it's you know I spend more time with them than I do almost with anybody. Yeah, so, I know you do. Yeah. Well, um, let's transition quickly. Um, I think because of some of the stuff you're talking about, I think we should just dive right into this California Michelin guide first, uh, even though I was going to do it the reverse way. Um, So my sort of big takeaway from the guide was that Michelin is extremely good at milking publicity for itself. And the reason I say that is probably the biggest headline to come out of the expansion from just San Francisco and uh, Napa Valley area to greater California was that no restaurants got three stars, no restaurants in San Diego or Sacramento or Santa Barbara, or sort of most crucially Los Angeles, which I predicted on Instagram. <laughs> there were multiple two star entrants in LA, which is cool and probably, you know, bodes well for their future, I guess, in terms of having a, a stable of restaurants to elevate. But, you know, I was, I think it's like, I think it's sort of savvy on their part to do that because for two reasons, you know, they used to have a guide to LA and it didn't do very well. And when they left, they said they were leaving because LA didn't really have a very good restaurant scene. Now they're coming back. And if they sort of time the elevation of three stars to the next guide or two, they can kind of pretend like they're sort of riding the wave of LA's restaurant. Oh, LA's finally got great restaurants and Michelin's <laughs> here to celebrate them. And also you get a much bigger hit next year. If right. Vespertine or Ennaka or one of these restaurants right. gets elevated to three stars, that's a whole LA gets its first three star restaurant. Now was that restaurant actually better than it was the first year Michelin came through? Maybe not, you know, maybe it's exactly the same, but, it's a second hit of news. So, you know, 
the reality is Michelin is in LA and they're in greater California because the California tourism board gave Michelin $600,000 to do it. There's no other reason. They're not there because LA has the dynamic restaurant scene that we have talked about many times on this podcast. And, you know, it's not even like they're celebrating the restaurants that are making LA great in the first place. I mean, some of the places that are getting one stars are a part of that conversation, but by and large, they're still kind of focused on those Eurocentric, Japanese-centric restaurants that they celebrate all over the world, regardless of where they are. Um, so anyway, that's my hot take. But do you agree with that? I, I, I totally agree. Uh, Washington, D.C. didn't get their first third star until last year. It took them a few years. And I don't, I've never been to in a little Washington. I'm not surprised they got a third star. Uh, the experience I had at Minibar three years ago was pro- was really close to being third Michelin star worthy. And they're Michelin a star two worthy. star, right? It's two stars. I've not been to Pineapple and Pearls. I'm, I haven't been to, I think that's, are those the, those the only two? Those are the only two, yeah. Yeah. Um, in LA, what I think LA truly is the best foods restaurant city in America. I think it's the second best restaurant city in the world, only behind London. And what disappointed me in, in my Instagram predictions, I included restaurants that I was hoping would get a star because it kind of falls out of the template, as you mentioned, the template or model of what Michelin normally gives stars to. For example, Baval. I went again to Baval recently, for the, so it's two times. Uh, Manuela, I love. I think deserves a star. Felix, you've been to Felix. I, I really thought Felix deserved a star. It's close, for sure. And, I mean, Republic, the Manskis, Walter and Margarita, I think deserves a star. Again, the, And most are, of these were ended up as Bib Gourmands, right? Some of them. Yeah. I think some, some may fall out of that, that dollar amount. Mm, There's a dollar right. amount associated with Bib Gourmand. And I'm disappointed that Michelin couldn't award some of these restaurants a star just to say, you know, you're, do, you're, on, you're going on the right direction. Here's an example. Republic, you have a star. See, look at Republic. They have a Michelin star. Mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. So it, they, didn't, they didn't do that during this, 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 at least the initial year. Maybe they will do it in future years. I'm surprised. Luke Sean. Luke Sean should have gotten a star. Dialogue should have gotten two. In fact, the Dialogue and Aubergine only got one. It's actually kind of like a slap in the face because I think Dialogue is the one restaurant in LA that came close to getting a that deserved three Michelin stars. And I've been three that times. is really interesting. You would think they would be among that crop of two stars. So really quickly, the two stars are Ennaka, Providence, uh, which is sort of the venerable fine dining place in LA. Somni, which is another Jose Andres restaurant. He owns mini bars, so now he has two with two Michelin stars in America. Uh, Sushi Kinza Onadera, Urasawa, two sushi spots. And then Vespertine, uh, which is sort of experimental out there. And I've been to all of them except for Sushi, Ginza, and Odera. All right. So which of those six, or throw in a wild card, would you think is the most likely to jump into that three-star category in the next year or two? And Naka, probably. I I went with Justin Woodward and I went last year, and we thought it was fine. I thought it was one Michelin star worthy. That's what I predicted. But... If I hadn't gone and actually eaten the food, I would have predicted two stars. But the fact that I went there and actually ate the food, that's why I predicted one star. 
Well, they're saying all the right things. I read an interview where the chef said, Nikki, Nikki said, we strive to, for the same ideals that Michelin recognizes. I, and not every chef says that some chefs obviously reject their stars or, you know, Perfect. reject the culture of the Michelin guide. Right. Some do, but, but very few, like I can count them on one hand, <laughs> a vocal minority, right? Like one hand, literally one hand. Um, so beyond Ellie not having any three stars, and Saison uh, actually Saison Saison dropping actually a star. Dropped, was what I was going to say. Star. That was probably the big news. Um, were you surprised by Cezanne? You know, Cezanne has a new chef in the kitchen. Although I don't know how new that actually is, but it's Laurent Gras. I, I've gone since Laurent's been there. And do you think it has slipped from a three to a two? Other people I've talked to say it has. Uh, I. Thoroughly enjoyed my meal. My only issue was there's still a transition between Joshua Skeens' menu and Laurent's menu because there were a couple of dishes that were still from the old Saison menu, like the liquid toast. Um, and I think the caramelized sundae, hmm. which is also on the England menu that you can get in either San Francisco or just the newly opened one in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I think it's in the one. And soon in the Northwest. Soon in the Northwest. I'll be in the, L the LA one very soon. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not overly surprised, and it dropped down in the world's top fifty from in the in the, they were in the forties, and now they're in the seventies. But I I really enjoyed my meal at Saison. I thought they might hold on to that third Michelin star. Once again, they knew because I'd been there like eight nine times. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean they were coming up to me every other course. People were, like servers were coming up to me. Laurent came up to me and asked, "Well, how is it? How would you compare it to Joshua's menu? I mean, is it?" As good. I mean, what can we improve upon? Blah, blah, blah. They're very kind. I mean, yeah. but I've been there enough, so they check on me. And Laurent was there during the entire service. You mentioned dialogue only receiving one star as being a surprise. Uh, another place you love that you also briefly mentioned is Auberge in Carmel. And you must have been Aubergine. pleased. Aubergine, excuse me. There's an Auberge on the list, isn't yeah, there? Okay, sorry. Aubergine. Does that mean eggplant? That's eggplant, right? Yeah. Um, Aubergine and Carmel, you've mentioned before as being a place that you thought was sort of underrated and deserved to be recognized by the guide, even though they, they didn't. Uh, it was too far away. They, it was too far away and in the wrong direction yeah. for the SF guide. Now they did go, they get one star. And again, it could be one of the scenarios where it probably gets two stars in the next year or two. Did the food actually change? I don't know, but you get another headline out of it. Exactly. Like I, I haven't been there in three or four years, so I, I don't know if food's changed. J Justin Cogley is still there. They have a new pastry chef. Uh, Yolanda Santos is there. Uh, when I went, it was Ron Mendoza. But I, I, I got to think it's still great. I mean, I, that's what I've heard. So I, I, I was surprised by, I was, I was, and I wasn't surprised. I was just hoping Michelin would do, would do right <laughs> by the restaurants in Los Angeles. But this is the first year. Yeah. I, give I mean, them a year or two, right? Yeah. Give them a year or two. These and, LA restaurants can get better, right? In New York City, you know, it is really all about the Japanese. I mean, there's a choke bet me once. Oh, there's not 15 Japanese restaurants that have a Michelin star, at least a Michelin star in New York in City. New York? Dude, there's more than 15. Jeez, Who's yeah. just there and started counting? <laughs> there's like 20 something. Oh, my gosh. I think I've been to almost all of them. Well, this is an interesting thing, and we're going to have to see how the guide impacts LA, if it impacts it at all. I mean, I think SF already is has kind of a deep vein of sort of Frenchness to it. I mean, you look at like the famous restaurants like Chez Panisse, um, you know, the great French bakeries of the Bay Area going back 30, 40 years. 
their connection between Napa Valley and Bordeaux in terms of their wine production. There's this kind of like real deep ties between France and LA, sorry, France and SF that exists to some degree in, in LA, but I think SF was always going to be more primed to care about Michelin, you know, respect their, what the star and respect and understand what the stars mean, et cetera. We'll have to see if LA actually, you know, responds in that way. I mean, LA kind of does its own thing. It has its own culture. It doesn't really care about French food or French way of life. And I mean, the worry that I've heard out there is that some of these restaurants, especially the ones at the higher end, like we've talked about dialogue Vespertine start to kind of tailor the experience toward what they think Michelin or a world's 50 best might like in a restaurant. And that could sort of change or affect what's going on down there, which is really cool and unique and sort of, you know, individual to LA. What, what I find one positive aspect that I think does have at least some, I guess some respect to Michelin, at least in San Francisco, because they've been there so long is a cooking there is really consistent. The execution is really high in San Francisco. I think maybe that's because Michelin, they were, you know, about they were about Michelin inspectors and trying to be consistent because that's what Michelin cares about more than anything, more than creativity, it's consistency. And in Portland, one of my biggest criticisms is lack of cons- lack of consistency. I've been to some restaurants where you go and have a few good meals and then you have a just a dud of a meal. I'm thinking, what happened? I mean, like, <laughs> this is awful. Name and, names, Gary. <laughs> uh, I can't. Uh, but I'll tell the chef they ask, and I've told you know who that I didn't like. You know what? So, um, <laughs> don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if that helps Los Angeles, I, I've had really consistent meals in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is really good in that respect, and the cooking execution is really high. So I, I don't know. I think it, we'll see. I mean, this is the first year. We'll see how it, how it, you know, changes and evolves. But the people who live in LA really do think highly of. I mean, like the restaurants thing, and they should. But I know some people are mad because there's no LA representation on the world's top 50, which is actually this year top 120 because of San Pellegrino's 120th anniversary. Hmm. Is that why they're 120 this year instead of 100? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I know everyone said, well, if you say a top 50 list, why is there 100, 100 or 120? Because, you know, from 51 to 100 or 51 to 120, there's they release that separate that list separately like a week before the top 50 get fed at at a at a ceremony somewhere in the world this year was in singapore last year i think it was in sydney or at least it was in australia and you know i'm always curious about and i and i do try to watch it and i watched it this year did you watch this year well at least i i was at a doctor's appointment really in the morning early in the morning so i was at least watching the live tweets well before we move on to that, I just want to say briefly, I, I actually do hope Michelin never comes to the Northwest because for that same fear that uh, I have for LA's restaurant scene, I would worry about that for Portland as well. I think it's far more likely that they come to Seattle first and then maybe expand to the Northwest. But at the end of the day, it does seem like they're not doing a lot of expansion without significant public investment from local tourism boards. I mean, we saw California, 600K. For the Northwest, it would probably have to be... 400 k for Seattle, maybe seven hundred total so, for both cities. I don't know. I'm just spitballing there, but, but don't, don't I don't. Get, I don't know if they do that. I don't. Is that really worth our public money? Like, is that where we want to put it? I don't. Like I personally don't think so. I think they would do it. I think if Michelin. It, I think they would do it. Yeah. 
I'm not sure. Uh, I guess we'll see. Wait and see. I, um, I want to see it just because I want more consistent cooking. If that means an outgrowth of Michelin being here, then I will deal with that. So, as you mentioned, the world's 50 best 120 restaurants, because it's not actually 50, it's 120, uh, was released. And this is an award or a list that was originally put out by uh, something called Restaurant Magazine in London in 2002. It's since evolved like crazy, uh, and it's sort of its own beast now. It's sponsored by San Pellegrino, and it purports to name the very best restaurant in the world, and it ranks them from one all the way down to now this year 120. Uh, One caveat there. And a major change this year is that they decided to graduate restaurants that had been named number one on previous lists into a hall of fame, uh, sort of best of the best is what they're calling it, I think. And essentially that means if you've been named number one in years past, you can't be named number one again. It doesn't actually affect a ton of restaurants. Um, I was looking over it today from 06 to 15. So a 10 year period from 2006 to 2015, only three restaurants were named number one on the list. That would be, you want to guess? Noma? One. And they, they're still eligible, by the way, because it's Noma 2.0. But to me, it seems like the same restaurant. But never mind. Um, that's one. one. And Osteria Francescana? Uh, they, they got their first number one in 2016. Oh, okay. Uh, so this is dating back a bit. El Bui the, would be number one. The, the, they the had laundry. a good run. The laundry is still around. Uh, so. El Bui had a run from 06 to 09. Noma took over from 2010 yeah, to 2012. But, but, and then uh, Ken Roca would be oh, the yeah. third. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's kind of like... 11 Madison Park doesn't qualify. They're, they're part of the Hall of Fame now, too. They got it in 2017. Yeah. Franciscana in 16 and then again in 18. So it's one of those... It, it, it's a, I don't like it as a move. I mean, I, pers- I make lists. I have a list of the best restaurants in Portland. And I occasionally <laughs> have thought about graduating a top restaurant out because you think, hey, we want to shake things up. Like this year, I'm working on my guide this year there are only two restaurants from last year's guide that closed the woodsman tavern and old salt marketplace um so there's either i'm going to be booting places off that i feel didn't keep up their quality or i'm just going to have two new restaurants which you know i don't know if i'm you know you want there to be some excitement you want there to be some change and also this list has faced a lot of pressure for the fact that there are very few female chefs on the list it's mostly you know, Europe and European style restaurants. And, you know, there, it does seem like they're trying to make those kinds of changes. They also split their vote this year. So it's 50, 50 women and men did not actually impact the guide because the, out of their 50, there's still only five restaurants where the chef is a woman. And even among those, a lot of those, it's a co-chef situation or the restaurants owned by a man or, you know, it, it, it's definitely not ideal, but that, that number five is the same number as last year. So it didn't actually shake things up. The number one thing, there was a report in time magazine that said that that was influenced by six or seven prominent or about a half dozen prominent chefs who worried that if they fell from number one down to two, four, seven, 20, 119. Okay. Bye. You're gone. That that would be detrimental to their business. Right. And it sounds like they were sort of cowed by those chefs. I don't know if that's totally true or not, but I think it's kind of cowardly to step away from actually naming the best restaurant in the world. When you claim to be doing that, you lose a lot of authority going this direction. And I think it's a big mistake. 
actually, you make a good point. I really didn't think of it. I just thought, oh, we get a new number one. I guess it's a, it's a, it's kind of cool that we will always have a new number one, right? Because won't Mirzer graduate? Oh, unless Noma, you know, unless you move down the street and you're Noma, and then you get to be on it again. <laughs> what? Mirzer that doesn't make any sense. Or just rename your restaurant <laughs> and move a block away. Azur Mir. <laughs> yeah, right. so now they're eligible again. No, they can't move from that uh, view. So, so yeah, it's it's you make you make a very good point. Like it, it'd be nice if you know EMP got knocked off number one because they deserve to be knocked yes. off, or Osteria Franciscana got knocked off because they deserve to be knocked off. But I I think the list. Where was EMP last year? Because uh, Franciscana was like four, top three, three top or four, four like that. But um, it's. I, I don't I'm not overly concerned about who's number one. I just I, t- I like looking at the all 120. It's just very interesting to like figure out like who who gets in and the most curious to me in the top 50 was the chairman in Hong Kong. I went last July and I enjoyed my meal there, but I went. In fact, I created a list of my top 20 favorite Chinese restaurants in the world. This is months ago. And the chairman's on the list at number 11. So it's my 11th favorite Chinese restaurant in the world. But it's number 41 overall in, on that list. Uh, Cosme, which is, has been in the 20s in the last few years. And they don't have a Michelin star. Which interconnect from what we talked about a little while ago and to now. Like, Cosme does not have a Michelin star yet. It's in the 20s, number 23 or 28 in the world. And I think it does deserve a Michelin star. I'm surprised it doesn't. And that goes back to the Michelin not knowing how to deal with Mexican food. Yeah. They, they don't know how. I mean, when you, when you get outside the cuisine of French, Japanese, they struggle with it. And, you know, they can deny that all they want. But the proof is in the pudding. So a couple of things that caught my eye on the list. Uh, the big mover up, geranium, went from 19 to number five. So that was a big jump. Deservedly so. Geranium is this big old restaurant on top of a soccer field it's, in well, Copenhagen. It's not, it's, well, yeah, I guess it is on, uh, literally on top of it. I went last <laughs> July. It was my second favorite meal of last year. One was Central, two was Geranium, three was Desfrutar. And they're all in the top 10. The top American restaurant was Cosme at number 23. We just talked about that. That's uh, uh, Chef is Daniela Soto Inés. And, and I think it's a really good restaurant. I mean, I, I, I think it's interesting that they're on the list because it isn't that sort of hyper-modernist, you know, elevated Michelin-baiting food. It's more, you know, you can walk up. I sat at the bar and yeah. had some snacks, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, by the way, I don't think it deserves to be in the top 50. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, it depends on your criteria, right? Uh, Blue Hill at Stone Barns, which we already talked about, dropped from 12 to 28. They were one of the big droppers of the yeah. list. Um, and who else from America? Atelier Cren at 35. Benu at 47, I believe. Benu at 47. Alinea at 37. And Le Bernardin at 36. Mm-hmm. In that sort of vein of what you're talking about with Cosme, Septim, which is a right. Michelin-starred sort of neo-bistro Paris restaurant, extremely i would say like rustic by michelin even one michelin star re- restaurant standards was at number 15 on this right. list so that was surprisingly high um well it's always done well. it's hot though right it's always i i i, I missed my day i forgot what like how far in advance i had to reserve and i missed my chance to go in march i thought oh i'll go in april 
but then I fractured my implants. I had to cancel my April trip. So yeah. I got screwed over. Well, that's I did it to myself. So next year, I hope to go to Sabine. Well, actually, I think Gary and I are about to head down to the new uh, McKellar Beer Bar and Japanese food pop-up. Um, anything else we want to talk about before we go? NBA free agency? It's beginning in two hours. Oh, my God. It's coming right up. I was just seeing... In uh, one hour. I think Kevin Durant's going to announce his uh, decision soon. So Well, he's still got to make his visits to... He's making a visit to New York, the Knicks, the Nets. I think he might be doing it all today. Wo- uh, really? Woj just tweeted that... Uh, He's going to be announcing his decision tonight. Tonight? Yeah. What do you think he'll end up? New York. Which team? I don't know. Knicks? Uh, you th- you're saying the Knicks? I thought sure. he'd be the Knicks. I'll say, the, I'll say, you know what? I'll say the Clippers. He's going to the Clippers. Oh, my gosh. Kawhi Why has he been spending all this time in New York then? Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard. Oh, God, Nets. Nets. I changed my mind. I'll go Nets. <laughs> Nets. His doctor who performed surgery is the Nets doctor. Nets. He's going to Nets. Be able to play with Kyrie. Um, where's Kawhi Leonard going? Clippers. Where? Clippers. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it'll all be out there by the time this pod goes live. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Bye.